The first reading can be found on page 203 in the New Testament section of the Bible. It is taken from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God and is intended to make you worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. And now we move to verse 13. But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. For this purpose, he called you through our proclamation of the good news so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Please stand for the Gospel reading. The Gospel reading can be found on page 81 and is taken from Luke chapter 20, beginning at the 27th verse. Alleluia, alleluia. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, called out of darkness into his marvellous light. Alleluia. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, 
leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will, be the, will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die any more because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. This is the Gospel of the Lord. I have a good friend who uh, is a clergyman and um, in his first church I was asked to read a passage and I only read part of what he wanted me to read. Um, I think there's been a slight um, mistake by me, I think. Um, some of that Thessalonian passage hasn't been read that I'm going to be preaching on, which is a bit of a challenge. So. Could I invite you to look at page 203 in the Church Bible if you have it um, easily accessible? Uh, the first five verses of chapter 2 and then 13 to the end. Uh, we will overcome this difficulty without any difficulty at all. A prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, may I speak the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Amen. We recently visited a friend who lives in a village near Norwich. Our friend had given us directions to find her home, which seemed sensible. Uh, we hadn't been to this house before. So we used them and faithfully followed our book of maps and we got completely lost. I mean, really, seriously lost. We actually did this thing of going round in circles. So we got sat-nav on the car. It's a bit old, but we thought we'd try that. So we tried that, and that took us a different way and eventually brought us to an industrial estate, which seems not wholly optimistic, and then to a complete dead end, and then the lady said, your destination is ahead. Um, <laughs> We didn't want to strip the gearbox and put it back together again in the workshop, so that wasn't going to work. 
Um, we got there in the end only by telephoning our friend and getting her to come out and lead us to her house. Uh, our friend had to take us out again before we went home to show us the way for another time so we didn't get lost again. And we found that the key turn which we had missed on a roundabout um, w was very clear if you knew it was the key turn. And you're supposed to have a sign. And indeed, there was a sign which had been knocked down and put back up, pointing in the opposite direction. <laughs> I am not making this up. This is real. So if you have a sign, you're getting me already, pointing in the wrong direction, you will never get to your destination. So our passage this morning from 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, um, is a word about the need for fresh thinking and clarification in our Christian lives when we have a challenge and how we might do that and how we might avoid that and then why it matters what lies ahead and how we should give thanks as we stand firm in the faith. This is one of a number of places in the New Testament where Paul, in his letters, has to write to new churches who've got themselves in a mess over something to sort believers out who have been given the wrong directions and not by him. Thessalonica was the capital of the province of Macedonia and a very important port on a trade route on the Aegean Sea. Important place with Jews, God-fearing Greeks and Gentiles. Paul and his fellow missionaries had founded the first church there. That was Silas and Timothy, who we meet regularly in the New Testament, in around 50 AD on what we call Paul's second missionary journey. But there'd been opposition. It was, op it was welcomed with open arms by those who believed, but there were Jews and others who did not like it. And so the new church ushered Paul and his colleagues out, sent them on their way, get on with your missionary journey, leave us to cope with our local situation. The persecution continued. Paul was bothered. He sent Timothy back to check on them and report back to him, and he wrote them at least two letters, and we have two of them in our Bibles. Our passage is in two parts. We're going to look at verses 1 to 5 first. This 1 to 5 passage is a little, little bit of a baffler for us because Paul is saying to them, you've got yourselves in a real muddle about whether the Lord's returned and what happens when the Lord's returned uh, because what is it? You've had a prophecy or something, have you? Or someone's come and spoken to you. And also something that we've become horribly familiar with, almost like fake news, a letter has appeared in the church, apparently written by Paul, but not written by Paul. And in some strange way, they think the Lord has returned spiritually and the dead who will rise with Christ when he comes back have somehow risen spiritually and they're, they're in a bit of a tiz. So, misled, in a bit of a spiritual problem, Paul is writing to them and saying, look, relax and remember what you already know. Confusion over Christ's final 
physical appearing and the resurrection of believers was a problem in the early church. We know that because Corinth had a problem with it, Ephesus had a problem with it, and clearly Thessalonica had a problem with it. Paul says, remember and don't be deceived. And he gives them two little pointers. He says, before the Lord returns, there will be a great rebellion, and that hasn't happened. And before the Lord returns, what perhaps is better called his second coming, when, when he comes then, um, there will be a resurrection, and there will be a man of lawlessness before that takes place. Man of lawlessness. Lawlessness. Well, one John tells us lawlessness is sin. This is a great manifestation of sin in a being who will seek to place himself as God over the world. And if none of that's happened, brothers and sisters of Thessalonica, so relax, whatever you've heard, it's wrong. False teaching like that didn't stop in AD 50. If you'd been around in the middle of the 19th century, you'd have heard something about that. If you were around in the first 20 years of the 20th century, you'd have had heard something about the Lord's return in some way which is invisible or something, and people being raised in some way which is invisible, we can't see it. And that's despite the fact that in the Bible it's very clear, we don't know the time or the hour, it's not for us to say we can't do any predicting, and Jesus himself talks about it. So, if you get a chance, open your Bibles at home to Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, and you will read what Jesus says about being careful about your thinking about the future. So you say, well, Godfrey, we're not, we don't think the Lord's returned or he's coming tomorrow. Well, please God, he will. I hope every day you wake up and at some point in the day, you rejoice that the Lord is coming, and it could be today, but we don't think it is today, so what's this got to do with us? Well, Paul wants to make sure that those believers and the power of Scripture to us now by the Spirit to us as believers in Ecclesaw is not to be shaken or alarmed in our faith. Whatever is happening in the world, whatever we are hearing... Remember what you know. The Greek word here for shaken shows us this is not just about being a bit bothered about something. It's a word used for ships that are being battered by waves and storms and then losing their moorings and becoming adrift. It's actually a disaster, this shaking. And the picture seems to suggest this shaking for the Thessalonians is even putting their, their hold on their faith at risk, that they will lose their grip, as we say. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, which I'm sure you've all got at home, um, so you can look this one up as well, in Psalm 16, uh, we refer to David, we find David being referred to, and he is not to be shaken. Same word, as Paul uses here. And David will not be shaken because God is at his right hand. David was secure because he constantly listened to and heeded God's word. And the thing is, we do forget, don't we? 
those of us here who are believers received the gospel for the first time at some point. And for some of us, it could be quite a long time ago. And there are things we forget. And we do need to hear again what we knew before. And we do need to be reminded. And actually, we all need to hear the glorious call of the gospel again and again because it lifts us up as we go out into our lives. And Paul says, I was only here a few months ago. Have you forgotten verse 5 of the passage? Do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? Not very long ago. Well, Paul hasn't ever been to Ecclesall. Um, We don't have an apostle's visit that we can... Oh, I remember he came last year. What did he say? But what do we have? We have what Paul didn't have, what the Thessalonians didn't have, which is this, and which some of you actually physically have in your hands now. That's what we have. And Paul's message to us by the power of the Spirit through God's Word today is you have the same thing that enables you not to be shaken. So that's where we turn to remind ourselves what we once knew and perhaps have forgotten and to test what we hear. I used to be in a church where one of the ministers would always say when he was preaching, have your Bible open in front of you to test what I say to make sure I am speaking the truth from Scripture. As Christians, we must know God's truth and have confidence in it and be safely secured to it, like the ship anchored to its moorings. And that has to be true whatever is happening in the world. And there are pretty dreadful things happening in our world and very challenging things happening in our country. And lots of talk about this winter that lies ahead. We need to be secure, not glib, not casual, but confidently secure. And as with King David, I want to suggest that one of the ways we do that is to cultivate and intentionally do this, being in God's presence. David says in verse 8 of Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. Spending time with our Bibles open and reading and reflecting on God's word can be part of our intentional drawing into God's presence. And it's not a chore. May we all be able to say what David says in this psalm, I have set the Lord always before me, Therefore, very Pauline word that, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. That's what setting the Lord always before me does for us. Having the Lord at our right hand. Our heart is glad. We say sometimes, don't we, our hearts were uplifted. We're trying to say something when we use a phrase like that. Then the second part of the passage, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 to the end, it is a contrast, but it links well. Troubled, reassured, why you shouldn't worry, what you should do about it, and now what's the outcome from that? 
Paul's words of encouragement move to you should give thanks to God for each other, brothers and sisters. Not because you're nice, but you are, of course. Because you're beloved by the Lord. God chose you as the first fruits. They are, months earlier, the lost who became saved. He says it's exciting to be the first Christians from the first time that the gospel was declared in Thessalonica. Give thanks for each other. Rejoice. You as first fruits. A long time ago, there was a chapel here or hereabouts where we are, served by a preaching canon from Beechief Abbey, and there were first fruits. People who came to a personal saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ who were here, somewhere around here, where we are. That should give us a, a shiver of a thrill just to think about that. We've just had all saints and all souls. Some of those are all souls. God, please, all of them are. We are the successors of the Paul, the Silas, and the Timothy who came to Ecclesall whenever they came and whenever those first fruits were plucked from the tree. And for centuries since then, people have cared that others should know God, get to know him better and better. It's not once, it's again and again and again. And worship him in word and sacrament right here. So we've got a very clear application for us of a call to give thanks to God straight into our own time. We can give thanks for our fellow believers every time we pray or at least frequently and when we're together and when we're in a service in a church or wherever and at the regular times of prayer in the rhythm of life of this church. One such time is coming up in a couple of weeks' time on the 24th of November. And those of you with any connections to the United States might smile at that date because that's the day in the US called Thanksgiving Day. So let's give thanks on Thanksgiving Day for our fellow believers here at Ecclesall. A little bit more before I finish. The Thessalonians were given sanctification. Paul says, you are the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. We don't talk about sanctification all that much. Um, perhaps we should actually talk about that quite a bit more. Um, the setting apart of the whole person for love and service of God. And we can't do that in our own strength. We do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have symbols of that in this church to remind us. And this sanctifying starts when we become first fruits, when we are first saved, when we have a belief in the faith which sustains us. 
there always has to be that personal response and the sanctification begins and wonderfully our sanctification continues all through our earthly life. And this is the life to which the Thessalonians are called and Paul says, this is what's happening to you. Men and women of the church in Thessalonica. And, and what's the purpose of all of this? Verse 14, for this purpose he... God called you through our Lord Jesus Christ so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what might that be? Well, Jesus told us in what we call the high priestly prayer in John's Gospel. Jesus said the glory to the Father, the glory that you, God, have given me, Jesus, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even loved them even as you loved me. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What a purpose. Who needs a mission statement when you have that? And as we progress towards this full manifestation of the calling to glory, we are, Paul says, to stand fast. We are to remember what we knew and to keep it close to us. We are to look confidently to God for comfort in our hearts. Great word, that. Comfort in our hearts. And he will give us strengthening and enabling for every good work and word. And the final word is the final thing. Always looking ahead to our eternal destiny with God secure in the Christian hope, not the hope of a mildly optimistic thought, but the hope of a certain glory, eternity in the presence of the Father. Eternity. We can't imagine eternity, but we can guess at an imagination of eternity in the presence of the Father because of the reconciling work of Christ on the cross. Don't be troubled. Go to where you can be steadied. Give thanks for each other. Rejoice in the faith you have. Remember why you received it. Stand fast. Stand firm. And look to the future so that you can go in peace and love and serve the Lord every day. Amen.